If you have your Bible, please turn with me to John chapter 19. John chapter 19, today's meditation and reflection on the finished work of Jesus Christ accomplished for us on the cross. John chapter 19, verse 30. And the purpose of our gathering, of course, this evening is to savor and to cherish and to remember the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we turn our attention to the Word of God, we're focusing on John chapter 19, verse 30, but I'll be reading beginning with verse 28 to verse 30. Hear now God's Word. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the Scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Let us pray. Father, this evening we ask that your Holy Spirit be present with us to do the work that only he can do. To open our eyes to see the depth of our sin the ways in which we have fallen short of the glory of God, but then to lift our eyes from off of ourselves and to gaze it on the cross of Jesus Christ, wherein we know we are forgiven because mercy flows from the cross and we receive it freely. And then we ask the Holy Spirit's ministry to give us eyes to see the truths of your word, and through his ministry of illumination, that we would receive your words, Lord, uh, not as merely words about you, um, but words you are speaking to us as you disclose and reveal uh, yourself. So stir our hearts, O oh God, that we would long for and desire you. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, you may be familiar with the seven I am statements recorded in the Gospel of John. Uh, those are the statements, of course, like, I am the light of the world, I am the good shepherd, and so on and so forth. Uh, there's also something known as the seven last words of Jesus, which refer to seven statements that Jesus made on the cross that are recorded across the four Gospels. These are words, statements rather, that Jesus utters right before his death. And so these seven words, or again, seven statements, are uh, as such. Uh, Luke 23, verse 34 uh, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Luke 23, verse 43. Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. John 19. Woman, behold your son, and behold your mother. And Matthew 27, 46, and also repeated in Mark 15, 34. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? John 19, 28. I thirst. John 19, 30. It is finished. And Luke 23, verse 46, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Now this evening we're looking at the sixth word recorded for us in John 19, 30. Now when we hear Jesus utter these words, it is finished. Our natural question is to ask, well, what was finished? And that's what we're seeking to answer this evening. 
Now, we've already pointed out that these seven words of Jesus are actually more like seven statements. However, two of these statements are literally one word, one word in the Greek. In John 19, 28, when Jesus says, I thirst, that's one Greek word, dipso. And in John 19, verse 30, when Jesus says, it is finished, that is also one Greek word, tetelestai. Now, to simply translate tetelestai as it is finished uh, really robs it of its much richer and fuller nuanced meaning. That word tetelestai was never meant to communicate uh, simply the finishing or completion of a task. You know, when you go to McDonald's and you order a big breakfast platter and you eat all of it in one sitting and you are full, well, that's when you could say it is finished. But you would never say tetelestai. Or imagine you have one lazy Saturday and you decide to watch all three extended versions of The Lord of the Rings. 12 hours later, you could say, it is finished. But you wouldn't say, tetelestai. The nuance of that particular word conveys carrying out a mission to its fullest from start to finish. Tetelestai means embarking out on a task that you have brought to its final completion. So if you've ever trained for a race or a marathon or some kind of competition, you put blood, sweat, and tears into it. You've trained yourself. You've disciplined your body. You, you followed a strict regiment. You've practiced. And at the very end, as you cross that finish line and you are completely spent and you are depleted, that's when you would say to Telestai, it is finished. I have brought my mission to its final fulfillment. See, as Jesus hangs on the cross, nails in his hands and feet, a crown of thorns embedded into his bleeding skull, it is then that he declares to Telestai. It's in the context of Jesus offering up his life as the perfect sacrifice, offering up himself as the perfect priest that Jesus announces that he has completed and fulfilled and accomplished his mission. Now imagine this, Jesus is on the cross, his body is bloody, it is beaten and it is bruised. And they're hanging by nails under the hot Middle Eastern sun for hours. You can imagine the exhaustion and the agony with which Jesus spoke this one word, tetelestai. But make no mistake, Jesus didn't utter that word in defeat but in resolute firmness. You see, when Jesus cried out, it is finished as he hung on the cross, he wasn't confused. How did I end up here? What decisions did I make in life that, that got me here? Jesus didn't speak as one who was powerless to change his circumstances. Jesus spoke with authority. He was on the cross, not because he had been bested by the Roman soldiers, but because he voluntarily laid down his life to save sinners. The telestai may not have been a loud, defiant cry and shout, but it was authoritative and triumphant. So Leon Morris, one scholar writes, Jesus died with the cry of the victor on his lips. This is not the moan of the defeated, nor the sight of patient resignation. It is the triumphant recognition that he has now fully accomplished the work that he came to do.
Jesus finished that work, that mission to save sinners by dying in their place, in our place. But this mission Jesus fulfilled, when did it begin? Christ's mission didn't begin with his entrance into Jerusalem on a humble donkey, although he certainly knew that death was his destination. It began before that. But Jesus' mission didn't begin with the calling of the first disciples, although he knew that when he told them to pick up their cross and follow after him, that the cross, the crucifixion would be his end. So this mission, when did it originate? When was it set out for him to accomplish? Did it begin with his incarnation when he took on flesh and blood and was born in a manger in Bethlehem? Did it begin with the prophecies that a suffering servant would come to redeem and reconcile a sinful people back to their God? When did this mission originate? Well, it went back further. Christ's mission began before Israel realized they needed a truly righteous king to rule and defend them. Christ's mission began before Israel understood they needed a God-fearing judge to keep them unstained from the pagan influence of a newly settled Canaan. Christ's mission began before Israel saw the need for a better Joshua to fight and lead the covenant people into the promised land. Christ's mission began before Israel knew they needed a prophet greater than Moses to deliver them from their true slavery and bondage. So when did Christ's mission really begin? His mission began all the way back in history, across the Tigris and the Euphrates River, through the cherubim-guarded gates east of Eden, and into the garden itself where God first spoke the promise of redemption and salvation in Genesis 3, 15. That is where his mission began. To the serpent, the Lord said, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. You see, friends, Christ was fulfilling the mission, the promise, the declaration spoken and made at the beginning of creation that God would make an end to sin and its curse over the world. Jesus was finishing the pronouncement that Satan's head would be crushed as the Savior's heel was bruised. And so it was here on the cross. The Savior's heel was struck. Satan foolishly thought that he was winning as the nails were driven into the Savior's hands and feet. But little did he know that God was sovereignly using those same nails to seal Satan's coffin and mark his defeat. The mission Jesus finished was first iterated in Genesis 3.15, but it was expressed in God's plan and purposes of salvation through all of the history of the Old Testament, over 39 books, through promises and prophecies, signs and shadows, patterns and types. All of the substance of the law, all of the substance of the prophets pointing ahead, leaning forward, yearning for fulfillment until Jesus Christ came and with his last breath declared the victor's cry to Telestai. It is finished. And in his life and in his death, 
Jesus fulfilled all of the old covenant rituals and ceremonies once and for all so that we would not have to. Jesus was the lamb we needed to slay and the scapegoat we needed to release. Jesus was the prophet we needed to hear, the priest we needed to represent us, the king we needed to reign over us. Jesus was the payment we needed to offer, the blood we needed to shed, and the firstborn we needed to sacrifice. Jesus was the tabernacle we needed to build, the mercy seat we needed to claim, and the suffering servant we needed to have. Through Jesus, every requirement God revealed in the perfect scriptures was satisfied and met. And that's why he declared, it is finished. I've done it all, everything. It has found its fulfillment in me. Friends, if you believe this, this is the most liberating, freeing, joy-filling news we could ever receive. Because Jesus did it all, kept it all, fulfilled it all, accomplished it all. Now we're called to rest in his finished work. There is no more. There is nothing more for you and I to do to his finished work of salvation. The best way we can honor it is to simply rest in it, to rest in him. You know, if you have a car loan or a school loan or a home loan, you know, the burden of such responsibility of making those payments. Now imagine the relief there will be one day when that balance finally comes to zero. When you have nothing left to pay off, what a day that'll be. What a day of celebration that'll be. You know, as a new family, we have all three types of those loans to pay off. And I can tell you right now the order in which I will dance with increasing joy and raise a hallelujah when they get paid off. The school loan is the smallest loan, so it'll yield the smallest joy. It can be handled, paid off in the near future. Then, of course, there are the car loans. And these loans are a bit more substantial and hefty, but the good news is when we make those monthly payments, I can see the dent it's making in the numbers. I will be glad when they are paid off. But the greatest joy will come from paying off that home loan. Why? Because right now, paying that monthly mortgage feels like I'm trying to empty the ocean one cup at a time. It's like trying to push a mountain over. There's no budging. But here's what this means in terms of joy. When that last payment is made, and I'm 105, <laughs> I will rejoice the most because the bigger the debt, the larger the payment, the greater the relief and rejoicing in having finished it. Dear friends, consider the debt that you owe to God because of your sin. How could you ever satisfy that on your own with your own works and righteousness and deeds and merit? That would be like trying to pay off the United States' 20-some trillion dollars of debt with monopoly money. The debt is not only seemingly infinite, it would actually be impossible to pay off. It would be the wrong currency. 
You see, friends, when Jesus says it is finished on the cross, he is saying he has paid it all. And that kind of finished work and the joy and rest received there, it is incredibly different than any kind of rest-giving, relief-granting experience derived from this world. You see, friends, to believe in Christ's finished, completed work on the cross for you means that there is nothing left to add and there is nothing that can be taken away from it. A finished work is a finished work. No amount of your good work can add to what he has perfectly finished. No amount of your bad works can subtract from what he has perfectly finished. His finished work cannot be made more finished by your contribution, nor can his finished work become unfinished by your sin. When you come to believe this, really come to believe his finished work, you can finally take your hands off the plow. Because rest is something that you receive from Christ's work, not something you achieve by your work. And so when Jesus says, to Telestai, it is finished. He doesn't mean, oh, he's finished, but you have to keep going. He's saying it is finished for everybody and anybody who looks to me in faith and in trust. Friends, do you believe the work is finished? That it's been accomplished? That it is complete? Or are you under the delusion that your good works could make his finished works more finished? Or under the self-deception that your sin somehow unfinishes his finished work? If you believe that the work is finally and fully finished through Jesus, then there are two ways that you must learn to use to telestai in your life. First, to telestai, it is finished, is a great comfort for your soul. You need this truth to comfort your soul, to preach to yourself when you see and are surprised and awakened to the imperfections of your service, when you are confronted with the failings of your obedience, when you realize the depth and degree to which you fall short of the glory of God, when it's exposed your lack of love for him and for neighbor, when the secret hidden motivations come to the surface again and again, when you're discouraged at the progress of your sanctification, remember to Telestai. It is finished. You see, your sanctification may not be finished, but Christ has declared your salvation is finished. And oh, what good news that is. Your salvation is accomplished through Christ, which means all the messiness of your sanctification, all the ups and downs, the failures and successes, the times it seems like you're going backwards, all of it is headed somewhere. Because your salvation is not complete once your sanctification is complete. Your salvation is finished in Jesus Christ. And God will finish the good work he has started in you. So don't be discouraged. Cheer up. Take comfort. Tetelestai. It is finished. And second, use Tetelestai as a great defense against the accuser. When Satan lurks around 
ready to point his condemning finger in accusation at the shortcomings of your actions, at the ugliness of your thoughts, at the profanity of your words, at the selfishness of your emotions, at the ungodliness of your motivations, at the unrighteousness of your best performance, you have a word of defense to speak against him. Because when Satan points out all that is unfinished in your life, Christ speaks on your behalf to Telestai. And Christ's single word is more definitive for you than all the words of accusation uttered by that defeated foe. When Satan points out everything that is lacking and imperfect about you, you respond, but Christ has said to Telestai. When Satan directs your attention to how you really messed up here and this can't be forgiven, you respond, but Christ has said to Telestai. When Satan tells you that you need to forge your own identity by your works and your effort, you respond, but Christ has said to Telestai. When Satan says through his lies that you need to do more for God to love you, you respond, but Christ has said to Telestai. It is finished is a sword and a shield to defense, to defend yourself against the lies of the accuser. Dear friends, this evening we remember and we rest in Jesus Christ who gave up his life for us, not as a symbol of love, but in loving sacrifice and substitution. Jesus declared, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit for you. His is a finished, completed, and accomplished work. Do you believe it? Let's pray.